This episode is sponsored by Bubs Naturals, yet another company that I tracked down to bring on as a sponsor because I myself love their products. They are offering you, the audience of the Behind the Shield podcast, a 20% discount. But before we get to that, I do want to highlight a few of the products that I use myself. Firstly, collagen. I am about to turn 50, um, and so my hair, my skin, my nails, not really a big concern when I was younger, definitely a lot more of a concern now. However, where I've really seen the impact is joint health and gut health, and have been blown away that when I'm consistent using collagen, Bub's collagen in this case, I see a massive improvement in both. Another area, I drink coffee, love coffee, and in the morning, I use the Halo Creamer. Now, originally, I used the MCT oil powder, but now they have the Halo Creamer, which has also got grass-fed butter in it, a lot more creamy if you're not trying to go for the vegan option that they have as well. Now, it's important to mention as well the altruistic element of Bub's Naturals. The origin story involves Glenn Bub Doherty, one of the two Navy SEALs killed in Benghazi, and a good friend of the founders, Sean and TJ. So 10% of every single sale goes towards the Glenn Doherty Foundation. Now, as I mentioned before, they are offering you, the audience, 20% off your purchase if you use the code SHIELD. That's S-H-I-E-L-D at bubsnaturals.com. And finally, if you want to hear more about their products and Glenn's powerful story, listen to episode 558 with co-founder Sean Lake. This episode is sponsored by Inside Tracker, and what makes me smile is before I even started my podcast seven years ago, when listening to other wellness conversations, Inside Tracker was always the company they recommended for comprehensive blood work. Well, now in 2024, they have begun to offer a brand new first responder panel, which will cover nine biomarkers hitting several of the pillars of health that affect us in uniform, stress, heart health, metabolism, and gut health. Now, after a very simple intake form, a blood draw, you will get the results sent to your computer, smartwatch, phone not only detailing where you are on the scale from poor to optimized, but also tips on how you can improve each of these markers. Now, this panel is usually $310, but they are also offering first responders 30% off any of their blood panels. So that brings this specific panel down to only $217. Now, I myself went through their ultimate, which is their comprehensive blood work which also includes micronutrients, hormones, and other areas of overall health. And I have to say, I was absolutely amazed at firstly how easy it was, but secondly, the comprehensive information I got and the actionable information on how to improve each of my own biomarkers. Now, as with all my sponsors, if you want to hear more about Inside Tracker, you can hear my conversation with senior sales executive Jonathan Levitt on episode 887 of the Behind the Shield podcast. So to sign up or simply learn more, go to insidetracker.com. And for the first responder panel, the easiest way is to Google Inside Tracker first responder panel. This episode is sponsored by a company I've used for well over a decade, and that is 511. I wore their uniforms back in Anaheim, California, and have used their products ever since. From their incredibly strong yet light footwear to their cut uniforms for both male and female responders, I found them hands down the best workwear in all the departments that I've worked for. 
Outside of the fire service, I use their luggage for everything and I travel a lot. And they are also now sponsoring the 7X team as we embark around the world on the Human Performance Project. We have Murph coming up in May. And again, I bought their plate carrier. I ended up buying real ballistic plates rather than the fake weight plates. And that has been my ride or die through Murph the last few years as well. But one area I want to talk about that I haven't in previous sponsorship spots is their brick and mortar element. They were predominantly an online company up till more recently, but now they are approaching 100 stores all over the US. My local store is here in Gainesville, Florida, and I've been multiple times. And the discounts you see online are applied also in the stores. So as I mentioned, 511 is offering you 15% off every purchase that you make. But I do want to say, more often than not, they have an even deeper discount, especially around holiday times. But if you use the code SHIELD15, that's S-H-I-E-L-D-1-5, you will get 15% off your order or in the stores every time you make a purchase. And if you want to hear more about 511, who they stand for and who works with them, listen to episode 580 of Behind the Shield podcast with 511 Regional Director Will Ayers. Welcome to the Behind the Shield podcast. As always, my name is James Gearing, and this week it is my absolute honor to welcome on the show college football player, stuntman, professional wrestler, coach, and the creator of the Iron Neck, Mike Jolly. Now, in this conversation, we discuss a host of topics from protecting our youth athletes, the relationship between a strong neck and concussion, the application of this product in the first responder professions, jujitsu, the world of aviation, TBIs and CTE, and so much more. Now, before we get to this incredible conversation, as I say every week, please just take a moment, go to whichever app you listen to this on, subscribe to the show, leave feedback, and leave a rating. Every single five-star rating truly does elevate this podcast, therefore making it easier for others to find. And this is a free library of almost 900 episodes now. So all I ask in return is that you help share these incredible men and women's stories so I can get them to every single person on planet Earth who needs to hear them. So with that being said, I introduce to you Mike Jolly. Enjoy. Well, Mike, I want to start firstly by saying thank you to Robert Sherman. He was the uh, gentleman from Iron Neck that I originally spoke to, um, and he generously sent me the most recent uh, Iron Neck 3 Pro. So I want to thank him and thank you for that, and also to welcome you, Mike Jolly, to the Behind the Shield podcast today. Thanks, James. Well, I hope you enjoy your Iron Neck, and if you want a video FaceTime session with me, I'll gladly take you through your first workout. Brilliant. Well, yeah, I did the the phase one, and then I'm actually going to switch to the phase one combat athlete program that you guys have, um, because Ooh, that's good. exactly what I do now. I get murdered by younger, stronger people at the moment. So, <laughs> <laughs> I remember when I was uh, I was doing some high school coaching for wrestling at Santa Monica High School, you know, and you know I, I was in pretty good shape. It was a while ago. And there's this big, huge offensive lineman that decided to want he wanted to wrestle. 
and I'm teaching him double leg takedowns. This is how you do a double leg takedown. And I was just being the dummy, right? But he was just a big, monstrous guy. Of course, he broke my rib right away. You know, these young kids, I mean, it's just like, wham, and all your weight on me, boom. Oh, I broke my rib. Okay, great. Well, I'm done with that now. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. I had a, a young guy, strong guy in jujitsu. We weren't even sparring. We were just simply doing a drill. And something in his mind made him think that he was trying to win the uh, UFC championship belt. And he freaking cranked on the, I think he had a tr body triangle and he cranked it down on a choke and I felt my ribs separate and I'm like, oh, fuck. Oh, <laughs> and geez. this is like, you know, a year ago at 48 years old. So yeah, that, that was fun kind of rehabbing that for about three or four months. I, I had a similar experience. I was doing a commercial for United Airlines and they hired a bunch of college football players, you know, usually UCLA, USC, you know, to, to be in the commercial. And it was, it was a pretty cool commercial. What they did, we, we were playing in the mud, in thick mud. So they brought in water trucks. They watered the field down. They, they put up a rain screen up above, and they were dumping water on that with fire hoses. So it was, it was pouring through, dripping through. And, we, and they hired a semi-pro football team to play against us. And the semi-pro football team, like your guy, decided that they could probably be discovered on a United Airlines commercial and make it to the NFL if they could show how good they could play on the commercial. We're going half speed. They're going full speed. And we're like, guys, you better tone it down. And you know, they didn't. So then we said, okay, we're going to go full speed now. And they quit after three plays and walked off the set. And the producers had to go over there and say, no, 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 come on. They'll, they won't do that anymore. Well, they need to play ball too, right? So anyway, we got, we got it worked out. But the same kind of thing. It's just, it's funny how, how, how people react in different situations like that. So I drive, I think it's just over 30 miles each way to Gainesville to train in this gym. And this happened at this wow. gym, but this was an anomaly. But that is exactly it. I think a lot of older men and women are like, oh, I don't want to jujitsu. I don't want to get hurt. And I always tell them, you just got to find the right gym. There are gyms out there where they're just very professional, very controlled, very few egos. And you can roll, you know, you know, somewhat intensely and still come away without, as we're going to talk about, the screwed up neck. But there's other gyms <laughs> I've been every single freaking session I come away with sore ribs, sore neck. And it just makes you not want to return again. Yeah, no, no, I get it. Exactly. <clears throat> So, well, I want to start at the very beginning of your journey. We've got some interesting kind of parallels in our, our lives, but tell me where you were born and tell me a little bit about your family dynamic, what your parents did, how many siblings. I was born in Eugene, Oregon, which and I didn't go to University of Oregon for college. I went to UCLA, so that did not make my dad very happy. He was getting his master's degree at the University of Oregon. Both my mom and dad graduated from Oregon. Um, anyway... Raised in Portland most of my life, and one sister, two, you know, three years younger than me, a very normal, you know, childhood, very happy childhood, never can complain. My parents were great. My sister was great. It was just, you know, I, I hear all these bad stories about childhood, and I, sometimes I feel a little bit guilty because mine was, you know, mine was, you know, pretty cushy. I mean, we weren't by any means um, wealthy or rich. I mean, we were pretty mostly lower middle class, your professor's salary, trying to make a living, you know, it's not easy, especially back then, it was pretty low. But, um, <clears throat> you know, it, it all worked, it all worked. I got a scholarship to UCLA, 
at a Wilson High School in Portland, and you know, went down to UCLA and, and had a good five years there and graduated. What about sports? As you progressed through middle high school, what were you playing? <clears throat> so <clears throat> I was playing basketball in uh, in grade school, and then in seventh grade I started, you know, playing pop Warner football. Seventh and eighth grade. Then I got to high school and no more basketball. I wanted to wrestle and I never wrestled before. And, and it, I just loved it. It was just, it just, it just felt right. And as a freshman, we had a really good wrestling program at Wilson high school. And as a freshman, I was on the freshman team for about three weeks. And then the coach brought me up to the varsity team and said, look, you can still wrestle freshman, but I need you to train with our state champion. We had a state champion, Wayne Snodderly, at 178 pounds. And I was weighing right about that. So I started training with Wayne and working him out because he wanted, coach wanted him to work out with some, you know, a, a bigger, stronger guy. So we had some good wrestling matches until I injured him uh, about a week and a half later. I mean, I didn't, I didn't do anything illegal. We were wrestling, you know, full speed and he got injured. And the coach looked at me and said, well, I guess you're starting now. And I'm like, what? I don't even know. I've only been wrestling for four weeks of my whole life, you know, four or five weeks. Anyway, it was kind of baptism by fire. Um, and then when Wayne came back, what I did was I cut weight. And the only time in my life that I had to cut weight, I cut weight to go to 168 and challenge at 168 because I could beat that guy. And so I wrestled at 168 most of the rest of the season unless the coach wanted to put me someplace else. He made me wrestle heavyweight a couple times too. You know, you're trying to beat the team and it just lineups how they match up. So, so sort of interesting. And then uh, football, played freshman football in high school. And then on my sophomore year, made the varsity, uh, went both ways and, you know, got some city honors and all that. And the next two years got all state honors and yeah, but I love defense. I was recruited to UCLA as a defensive lineman and played defensive lineman for two years. <clears throat> and then Coach Donahue called me into his office. He goes, Mike, you have white man's disease. We're moving you to the offensive line. And I went, what? Coach, I, I was 300 pounds. I ran a 4.840. But we had guys that were a lot faster than that on the D-line. And anyway, he goes, yeah, I'm putting you on offense. You'll be my pulling guard. And I was like, oh, my gosh. Okay, whatever. Because, you know, defense is way more fun. And when you sack a quarterback, that's a high. You don't get that high as often on the offensive line. Yeah, when you, you flatten out a linebacker and stuff like that, it's, it, it feels pretty fun. But you don't remember that. You don't remember that like you remember a quarterback sack. So I, I finished up my career there playing offensive linemen. Now, I want to get to the, the physicality of wrestling into football. But before we do, it's always interesting, especially when I'm talking to, for example, some of the special operations communities. A lot of them have done an individual sport and a team sport. Now, of course, wrestling, you're on a team. When I was a martial artist, I was on the team, but I was there on the mat on my own. When I did field hockey, which is what I played back in England, that was a team sport. So yeah. if I screwed up, everyone sure. you know, was affected. What were the, the things that you pulled from the individual sport and the team sport that maybe served you later in life? Um. Take, I don't need these glasses on. Um, that's that's a great question because we had a, my football team at Wilson High won seven games in three years. So we just we you know we just we weren't good. We just weren't. It didn't matter how good I was or someone else on the team was. 
you're going to lose. So I loved wrestling because it was an individual sport. It all it was all about me. If I could, if I if I did a great job, awesome. We, I won, and that was great. And if I didn't, I lost. But it was my fault. It wasn't anyone else's fault. So that individuality of being on a wrestling team was great because you know I went to state and did all of that, and that was that was a lot of fun. <clears throat> on the and it was also a team, and it come would come down to heavyweight James a lot, right? It was like. We were in the city championships. It came down to heavyweight. My coach, he would not let me pin a guy until he gave me the thumbs down signal because he didn't, he just didn't, he wanted me to get a workout in, right? And so, so uh, I, I went, I, I was going out to the mat and it was, it was for the city championship. If we won, we won the city. And he, and he grabbed me, he goes, pin him as fast as you can. <laughs> I said, okay. All right, coach. I'll I'll, I'll pin it. It's like the first time you ever said that, so it was, it was kind of fun. But um, <clears throat> yeah, that 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 individuality of a wrestling and just being just you and having the confidence to go out on that mat and you're relying yourself and have you on display. You're not hiding in the offensive line, screwing up. No one even knows you screwed up because you're you know, you're buried in that 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 big you know you know scrimmage pile of all the bodies. Uh, no one knows. So that individuality, I think it makes you stronger. Um, it, 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 it demands a little more than if you have teammates around you. But the team aspect teaches you so much about teamwork and leadership and, and you know, working together. I mean, offensive linemen, especially out of any football team, they have to work together in unison or the play doesn't work. Unlike any other sport there is, the, the, those those five offensive linemen and a tight ends there, that sixth offensive lineman, you have to work together and you and you have to really trust each other. So <clears throat> those are the two aspects. And I think when you combine them, boy, they're great, especially if you're a lineman. If you combine wrestling, you know, with an, with offense for defensive line, oh man, the best offensive and defensive linemen are, are wrestlers. Um, and you know, it's just, it was a great opportunity to do both. One of the things I do now, when I hire people, you, you have to be an athlete. You have to understand what leadership is, what teamwork is, and, or you have to be in the, in the military. You got to be an athlete or in the military. And usually guys that are in the military were athletes when they were in high school. But if you weren't in the military, you better be, uh, you better be a good athlete, you know, with team experience, not just not just, you know, individual experience. Now, what about physical resilience? I heard you on the uh, Underground Strength podcast and, uh, you know, we would obviously you were talking somewhat about neck strength and concussions. But overall resilience, when you went from wrestling, how did that serve you in the football uniform? Well, that was great. But what wasn't great was coming like, for example, at UCLA, I wrestled two years there until Title IX killed the wrestling program at UCLA. Freshman year, we went to the Fiesta Bowl, played, played uh, Arkansas in the Fiesta Bowl. And so I came out in January to the wrestling team. Now, they'd already been practicing for eight weeks. And, and you're in no shape to wrestle after you play football. None. I mean, you, 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 football's five, six-second burst, two-minute rest. Five, six second burst, two, you know, it's, it's that kind of thing. Uh, so you come out and you just get killed. 
But boy, the other way around, when you've been wrestling, and you know you can stay lower than everyone else, and you can get le- you can get leverage on everyone else, and I mean it's just, and you're in great shape. Your body's used to going and going and going and going. You you condition hard, uh, you lift hard, you you know on the mat just wrestling with other big guys, throwing each other around. I mean your balance gets better. It, coordination gets better you can tell a wrestler on a football field if you look at the offensive defensive line linebackers you can tell if they wrestle just by how they move how they carry themselves um their quickness the reactive the the the, the reaction time they have wrestlers get very quick at reacting because if you can't react to your opponent you're going to get beat right away so that reaction time you know helps out but wrestling certainly helps football football it does not help wrestling very, very much. I know in jujitsu as well, when someone, when you roll with someone, you probably tell them, you know, when they even walk in, but certainly when you roll with them, when they, when they feel like they're double the body weight that they are and they're an immovable object yeah. on top of you. Okay. okay. You, you wrestled, didn't you? Yes. I thought you did. It's incredible the way yeah. that they're able to just, you know, the base is insane. Right. Right. I mean, right away, you know, like I've got guys cause I'm, you know, I'm six, five and, and I'm big, and so in, in, for some reason, people like to just try to push you around, right? It's like, oh, yeah, big guys just try to push you around and, and mess with them. But they try to pick you up. And if you're a wrestler, they can't pick you up. They think they can get behind you and pick you up. No, because you know, we know how to just deaden our weight, sink down, and it makes it impossible. But, you know, that's the kind of thing you're talking about. It, you, you know right away, oh, this guy, this has, this guy has a wrestling background, obviously. Now, what about neck conditioning back then? I mean, one of my uh, the instructors where I train, he, he's he's got a little thing that's called fifth limb, fifth yeah, fifth hand jujitsu, I think it is. But you know, we think about the hands and the legs, but you watch the wrestlers. Your head, your neck is another appendage that you use incredibly effectively. So, when you were actually wrestling, what conditioning were you doing that back then for the neck? Well, we bridged a lot, of course. I mean, that's what we did. We bridged. <clears throat> I would have. Some of the, the the hundred pound wrestlers, you know, sit on my back or on my stomach while I was bridging, so I could I could add that extra weight. But you'd be bridging and you'd be rolling around on your neck. And one of the things though, you were always rolling around on your neck. You didn't just sit there bridge and go like this. No, you were you were rolling around and moving, which was really great for the neck muscles because they're all diagonal fiber direction. To get full contraction, you know, you have to tip your head hips laterally. You have to rotate it around, and um, that certainly worked the muscles out better than a four-way neck machine. Now, when I was in high school, there was no neck training in football at all. We didn't even have a, a weight room, per se. We had a little universal gym. It was just ridiculous. Uh, but in you know in wrestling, we were obviously working out the neck. We got to UCLA uh, on the football team. You know, we'd sit there on, on all fours on the football field, and you'd put your head up against the guy's thigh. And you'd push against the thigh, and you'd push against the thigh, and then you'd hold your head down, and you and you'd arch up, and then you'd grab your face mask, and you and you and you'd pull down. But again, it was just very linear, no no rotative resistance of any kind at all. We know that eighty five percent of concussions happen from rotary acceleration to the brain. So if you look at it, if you picture a football helmet, you never get a direct direct hit; it's just straight on. Never. It's a glancing blow. It's always a glancing blow. And it's that glancing blow, that rotation, 
that starts twisting the brain and it starts that brain rattle. And that's, you know, that's a, that's a, that's not a very good situation to have, but that's how you get, that's how you get concussed. So, you know, the, the neck training four way neck machine just doesn't do it. it. It doesn't. And it allows you to cheat a lot too, but that's why the iron neck is, is a great way to train your neck because it does it uses all those rotational resistances. So I did sports science in university, but then met a girl overseas. She was actually English as well. And she was uh, a seamstress and a costume set designer in a drama school. So I ended up auditioning with no acting experience whatsoever. Um, and I still will say I'm probably one of the worst actors that walks this earth. But uh, I got into drama school, ended up spending a year there. It was terrible at acting, but I got into stunts. And then ever since then for the last 20 plus years, I, I did stuntman alongside being a firefighter. I know that you did uh, political science in university, but talk to me about drama and how you, that ended up forging uh, the first part of your career as well. Yeah, it was um, theater department at UCLA is closed. You're recruited to get, you know, to, to get there. You have to audition. It's a big deal to get into the theater department. But one time a year, the kids that are in the master's program for directing they do one act plays and on the one act plays it's open auditions to anyone on campus and we me and my buddy were walking by coming back from poli sci class on north campus we were walking by the theater department and there's this big sign one act play auditions you know now big arrow my buddy goes, let's go let's go try out let's go try out. I said, what the hell right so we walk in there and we try out and it was for a william inge play very serious play uh, about prisoners on death row. And, you know, I tried out and the part was an emotional part and I got, I got it. I got this part and it was in between spring ball and, you know, and summer. So I, I had this, I had this time that I could actually didn't have to be at football practice. So I did it and I fell in love with it. It was just so much fun. So that got the acting bug into me. And then I wanted to take more classes. So I went in to the theater department <clears throat> during, you know, open enrollment. And I said, yeah, I'd like to sign up for some classes. And they said, you can't sign up for classes. You're not, you're not in the theater department. You're, you know, we recruit to get in here. I didn't know any of that then. That's when I found that out. I went, oh, really? But, you know, but, you know, I have pre-enrollment. I'm on the football team. Blah. So what? It doesn't matter that you're on the football team. It, so I said, okay. So I went and I talked to the chancellor. So Chuck Young was a big supporter of the football program. Um, and we had a pretty good relationship. So I went and talked to Chuck and Chancellor Young called them up. He said, go ahead and go back tomorrow and take any class you want. So I walked in there the next day. And of course, they, they said, oh, hi, Mike. Yes, you can sign up for any class you'd like to sign up for. So I got a minor in theater, <clears throat> which is kind of fun. Um, would have got a major, but I couldn't do the, the the big plays that you have to do three times a year because of football, obviously. So that kept me from getting a major, but I got a minor in that. And that, that got the acting bug in me. So my senior year at UCLA, my fifth year at UCLA, I actually got an agent. And, uh, you know, it was just a freak, a fluke. Met met this woman at a, a party and she said, oh, yeah, I'm, a, I'm an agent. I told her about, you know, my acting and, I, and, oh, I'm an agent. And, you know, she goes, I'm with writers and artists. You should come by the office and we can sit down and talk and you can audition for the, 
for the uh, the agency. And I said, okay, but everyone in LA is an agent. If you're not an actor, you're an agent, right? So I'm like, okay, whatever. So I go back, I call up my, my friend who's really dialed into Hollywood. And I said, yeah, I met this, this lady named Jenny Raymond from Writers and Artists. She says she's an agent. Oh my gosh, she's one of the best agents in town. Seriously, you met her? How'd you meet her? Anyway, make a long story short, <clears throat> I was doing a play, off-campus play, um, it was Desire Under the Elms, and there was a scene in that play that was where I, was, I beat up my girlfriend. So I go, in, I go into Writers and Artists, and they set up a theater in the round, and, I, and she came with me, and we performed the scene in, in the round, and there was, it was probably about a 20-foot circle, <clears throat> and we were in the middle. But, you know, we go through this, this, this intense scene where I'm, where I'm beating her up and she's bawling and crying. And I'm screaming at her. Scene ends and all the chairs that were in the circle were flattened up against the wall. The people had just slowly pushed their chairs back and their backs were up against the wall because it was intense, right? And I'm a big guy and I think, I think they got a little bit intimidated, but um, they, they signed me up the next day. So I had a, a decent agent. I mean, a really good agent, and yeah, they got me. They got me some good parts. But uh, the stunt work was a blast. They'll give actors an opportunity to go on stunts if they think you can. If they think you're going to hurt yourself, as as you know, I mean, you're you're a stunt man, so you're you're hoping that they say no, you can't do your own stunt because I mean that's going to give you more work, right? But if they think you can do it without injuring yourself, they'd rather have you do it because they can. Show your face, you know, while you're doing the stunt. But yeah, stunt works. I love stunt work. It's, you know, it gets back to wrestling, right? And football. It's, it's so physical. It was funny. I've, I've told a few actors a story. I, when we did uh, the drama school, there was a showcase, you know, and you think it was like three, three cities. And uh, we each did our monologue, and the rest of my fellow actors were good actors, but they weren't very physical human beings and i was more of an athlete less of an actor so and i did a, a a monologue from the falklands war and it was this guy that basically now it's funny that you know years later i end up working in this kind of arena but he had ptsd so he's kind of seeing demons and even throws a couple of martial arts kicks and and so uh at the end i had this guy saying i'm with william morris again i'd heard that william morris was kind of a big deal you know we love what you did yeah just a little bit yeah a little bit <laughs> But he goes, I'm not the person who would be in this group that you would fit. So let me know when you get a role and we'll get the other person to come watch. Well, in London at that time, you couldn't get work without an agent. You couldn't get agent without work. So that ended up being yeah. the kind of the in LA. Yeah. yeah. So, but yeah. what I ended up doing was the live stunt. So I never did the, the, the film and TV stunts. I worked on films and TV as a really a glorified extra, to be honest, but the uh, the live stunt shows were amazing because you were the actor and the stuntman. You were everything in those, and it was live. So you know, if you screwed up, yeah. back to the wrestling, cool. it was on you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's cool. I had a Boy Scout troop. I was a scout master for years. Really enjoyed it. I have three boys. They're all Eagle Scouts, and um, we had um, one one summer. We decided to put on a stunt show, so we raised money. We bought an old car. And, my assistant scoutmaster was was trying to break into the stunts in L.A., and he was pretty good at it. We built a big tower. We jumped off. I mean, all the parents came. We did this little show, and but we we rolled the car. It was a big deal, you know. 
but it, it was so fun. The kids had a ball. I mean, they, the kids loved it. <clears throat> a lot of fun. Amazing. Well, while we're on this subject then, because I know we're going to transition to the sports side and, and firefighting, but when I look back now, when we get to the CTE conversation, but even just you know, neck strength and, and flexibility, as a stunt performer, I, I have probably taken tens of thousands of hits over you know 20 years of doing live shows. And so you think about, again, that concussive force when you're whipping your head around. Have you had interactions with the stunt community and, and how they've received Iron Neck? I have not. <clears throat> I have not had any interactions with them at all. Uh, I'm hoping that they're using it. It just depends on where they work out. Now, if they work out at martial arts studios, which I know a lot of them do, most of the martial arts studios in the LA area have Iron Neck. And then they probably are, you know, using it. I mean, it's important. I mean, they're taking big falls. Um, I was doing, a, I did a series called Dirty Dozen, and it was in Yugoslavia. It was in, on Fox. <clears throat> It was right after, um, it was on Fox. It was back in the, in the early 90s. And it, it was actually a pretty good show. We, we, we filmed it um, at Movie of the Week pace, meaning that we took, we took 10 days to film an hour instead of, you know, an hour episode instead of six days to film an hour episode. So we spent a little more time filming that. But it was cool because it was in Yugoslavia. It was World War II. We were pulled out of prison because, you know, I was a big, strong guy, supposedly. And, you know, I... I, could, I, I was a sharpshooter and I was a driver. I had all these great job descriptions. I was saving the day on the, on the show. But, uh, you know, it's just like the same dirty dozen that was done in the movie format. You're pulled out of prison. You're going to work for us for the rest of the rest of the war. And if you make it, then all charges are dropped and you, know, you're, you get an honorable discharge. Great. We'll take it. We get out of prison. But anyway, we, um, we did a lot of our own stunts. And I did some really fun stunts, but there was one stunt. These guys in Yugoslavia, James, they were, they were gnarly stunt guys. There were no airbags in Yugoslavia. You're jumping off a roof, you're jumping into cardboard boxes. And they would set the cardboard boxes up. So we had this, we were on top of this eight-story building. And I, my job was to run really fast and stop at the edge. So they could cut, you know, and the stuntman would take over. They could cut from me running to him and jumps off the edge. But he's jumping into boxes. And it was only three levels of boxes. They were four by four boxes piled on top of each other, just empty. And they just they just fly down and they just land on it and just go kaboom. And, man, it was nuts. But they were they, – so you're going to appreciate this. You're going to really appreciate this. So one of the one of the uh, – one of the episodes, I volunteered to stay behind. The, the Germans are coming up the road. I'm going to stay behind with my sniper rifle, and I'm going to take them out so that the rest of the team can get to the helicopter and, and, and get out or get to whatever we were doing. It was just some trucks or something. I don't know. Whatever. Our escape route. So I'm there, and I hold them off as long as I can you know, with my sniper rifle, and then my job is to run across this huge field and catch up with the team. Well, in Yugoslavia, they use real dynamite. They don't use flashbangs, none of that bullshit. It's real dynamite. So, and, and it's old school. It's a board, it's nails, it's a battery. You touch the, 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 you know, the battery to the top of the nail. It shoots the spark down to the stick of dynamite, and the stick of dynamite goes off. So they had, they had the track, a 150-foot track set up 
you know, on the camera to follow me. And I'm sprinting across the field. And the stunt guy, or the, 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 the bomb tech, who I grew to really, really trust, because there's a lot of explosions in this stupid show. But he would set those, those, those pieces of dynamite off I was, as, as I was running by. And he would pick me off the ground, which was really fun for a big guy to get picked up off the ground and just thrown. It never happens. You're like, whoa. So I would get blasted off the ground, three or four feet, through the air, 10 feet, shoulder roll, pop right back up, just like MMA, you know, in wrestling, shoulder roll, shoulder roll, and get back up. Another piece of dynamite would go off, boom, and it would, it would throw me. I got thrown like 10 times running through this scene. It was so much fun. I, When I was done, I was like, I really hope they didn't get that. We have to do this scene a second time. You know, but but they got it the first time. But you know, it was it was such a kick. It was such a kick. I loved that. Did you ever watch the film Tropic Thunder? Oh yeah. yeah. Oh absolutely. So, so I think we realized. No, no, no. I wasn't in it at all. But firstly, I think it's funny how some people got um, offended by Robert Downey Jr.'s character when his character is literally highlighting the racism of old Hollywood. That's the whole point of that character. But secondly. As a stunt right, person, right, right. and then hearing some of the behind-the-scenes sets from my stunt friends, and you know Captain Dale Die and some of these other people, you realize there's so many hidden jokes in there, and some of these things that people are laughing at, like, no, that really happened yeah. on this film. <laughs> As you said, they used real right. dynamite, for example. Yeah, yeah, the real dynamite. That was that was crazy. So I know that you found yourself in the construction industry um, on the uh, Underground Strength podcast. I heard you talking about when when you transitioned out of that was kind of the beginning of the process. But prior to that, when, when did you started thinking about the potential of a device that was actually going to strengthen the neck and what was some of the, the injuries or issues that you were seeing in athletes that spurned your thought process in the first place? So <clears throat> I got a little worried about CTE. Offensive linemen tend to have, more CT than any other position on, on the football field. And the reason is every single play offensive linemen are banging heads, right? I mean, Dr. Robert Cantu uh, at, the, at the Brain Institute in Boston, he proved that in one 80-yard drive, an offensive lineman can have 20 sub-concussive blows. And, and we have to separate a concussion from a sub-concussive blow. A sub-concussive blow is a mini-concussion. That's all it is that you just keep playing through and you don't even realize that you get it. Sometimes you, you do realize you get it, but most of the time you don't even know that you've, you've gotten it. But those sub-concussive blows are far more nefarious than a concussion because no one really understands, you know, that you're getting it and they're building up and the damage that they're doing to your brain. They just don't get that part. So a strong neck will prevent, you know, that from happening. And so I was worried about, I mean, some of my some of the guys I played with had turned to, to major drugs, and you know, ending up in prison and and ODing on drugs. But why are they ODing on drugs? It wasn't because they were a drug addict. It was because they couldn't live with what was going on in their brains. They 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 had to they had to stop that noise from happening. I mean, Mark Tuane, you know, I mean, we're same recruiting class at UCLA, and then he. Um, he was on the D line and we were, we were on the D line together for two years. And then I went to O line. Well, he ended up going to Dallas. He ended up winning three Super Bowls there. He was a great family man, great community guy. 
six months after he retired, he killed himself with drugs in his driveway, in his car. Six months. And and he couldn't, he just couldn't, he couldn't live with it. But back then, no one really knew anything about CTE. No one knew what was causing it. It wasn't like when Junior shot himself in the chest so his brain could go and get analyzed. And that didn't kill him the first time, so he shot himself a second time in the chest. Think about the pain. But he wanted this to go to go get dissected and go get looked at and studied for, you know, the, the future protection of future players. I mean, so I'm, I'm, you're looking at all this thing and, and you're going, wow, why didn't I get concussed? I never got concussed. Well, how come? What, what was the difference? Because on the, on the football team at UCL, there were a lot of concussions, but I never got concussed. Why? Well, I mean, it came down to, I have a big, I had a really big, strong neck. Hmm. Maybe that, maybe that had something to do with it. So then I started doing some, a little bit of research on it. So I was into, into this little research a little bit before my construction job ended. And that was sort of the catalyst to said, okay, now I'm going to really get, check this out and really figure it out. So when I went and visited Dr. Robert Cantu, he told me that they were doing a study with 3,500 high school athletes in Colorado, all different sports. And they were, they were fi- trying to figure out if a neck strength would prevent concussions. At the end of that study, they proved that for every one pound of neck strength you add to your neck, you have a 5% less likely chance of being concussed. Now, that's huge. One pound of strength is nothing. I mean, think how, think how fast you could add a pound of strength to your bicep. I mean, you know, it's just a pound. It's, it's, it's hardly anything at all. And when you're a young kid and you got a bunch of testosterone flowing around, you know, we go into these high school programs and they put on neck strength so fast and they'll build, you know, an inch and a half to three inches of circumference in three months and the neck strength through the roof. And then they just don't get concussed. Now we can't say, oh, we can completely concussion proof someone. We can't do that, obviously. But I'll tell you, James, well, we'll th- these high school teams will have 25 concussions the year before after training all summer with the iron neck. They have zero to five. Some of them have zero just because these kids have big necks now. I mean, when, when you and I, you know, when we played in MMA, we were talking about this before, before about how the head's a weapon. It, it, this was the fifth hand, right? I mean, I use my head as a weapon in wrestling for sure. In football, for sure, I would use it to just it had a helmet on. I thought I was protected. I'm going to use my head to destroy people and beat people up and and try to hurt people. And that's just that's how football was back then. And you know, so anyway, we, we've got to strengthen our necks to do that. One pound of neck strength, geez, using our neck for a week, and you'll add five pounds of neck strength. So it was you know it was pretty simple to do that. But to get back to your question. Um, after I had that conversation with Dr. Cantu, the study hadn't finished yet. They'd only been into the study about a year, and they wanted to go at least two and a half years with the study. So I went ahead with the assumption that he was right, that neck strength did prevent concussions. And with my own you know, empirical experience, how my neck was strong and I didn't get concussed, I took that as, okay, that's what it is. I'm going to figure out a way to do it. Then I get I, I then I lose my job 
And then I said, okay, now's the time to do it. Let's go. We had some money saved. It was time to to, to try to you know, start this company and, and, and get it going. And so my wife and I made that decision. And, and you know, she jumped on board too. And, and we worked really hard, got that thing designed and, and got it out there. Um, but uh, that was, you know, that that's the impetus behind, you know, me getting going, knowing that people were dying of CTE, knowing that people were doing drugs, Lewis Sharp, great guy. I mean, geez, what a great guy. Lewis, Lewis and I played together at UCLA. He was my right tackle. I, I was the right guard. Lewis, 6'7", um, you know, good 320 pounds, really good athlete, played with the Cardinals for 16 years. Lewis and his family got on a raft in Cuba. And, and escaped from Cuba when he was just a little boy, like three or four years old. And, you know, Lewis um, turned into a major drug addict as soon as he retired. Major drug addict. Why? Because he has CTE. Because he's just hear stuff in his head all the time. He was he's, he's out of prison now, and but he spent a lot of time here in Arizona in prison because of drug drug charges. And he was was well-loved in, in Arizona. I mean, he spent his whole career with the Cardinals, the whole career, did a lot of good stuff in the community. But it's just such a nefarious disease. It just, it sneaks up and it just destroys lives. Well, I think what's sad as well, I can see in my mind now images of one of the Arizona, I, I don't know if he's a sheriff or what he was, but you know, the the program where they've got the addicts out in chain gangs and they're breaking rocks. And it's the polar opposite of what we actually need to do when it comes to mental health, you know, and, and for our profession, CTE, especially in the military, you know, that's a big part. And there's a lot of the the SEALs, um, you know, that I've had on, that's a compounding element. You know, then you add trauma, like real trauma, childhood trauma, what they saw in combat, et cetera. Then you add sleep deprivation. You know, these are all preventative elements that we can improve. Like neck strength is a perfect example of that. And until we stop looking at, you know, I mean, even Aaron Hernandez, that was a horrendous ending. But you know, oh my God, yeah. them, they look at it and go, his brain was a was was jelly. You know, that's that's probably where a lot of that came from. Doesn't excuse what he Absolutely. did. Absolutely. But we can, you know, okay, well, can we learn from this and therefore start preventing it? What I want to put to you before we kind of go down the the kind of journey that the Iron Neck has gone on, an observation that I've made coming from a country where we don't really forge a high level of athleticism in our schools so much. Um, you you have a lot of high school kids, even college graduates that then go on and they keep playing football, rugby, you know, whatever the, the sports are. And there's pub leagues and local leagues and all that kind of stuff. What I saw when I first came to the US was, you know, a lot of, like I would say, Uncle Rico's, you know, that that could have, would have, should have been if it wasn't for my MCL, ACL, you know, slap tear, you name it. And I've as we've yeah. gone through and I've listened to a lot of high high level athletes, high level coaches, my observation is, and this isn't all the people, but there's a real danger when it comes to our youth athletes of squeezing out performance from them at the detriment of their wellness. And that's a line that I think gets blurred sometimes. What's your perspective of winning with a young person versus making sure that we're overseeing their longevity and health as well? No, that's a, that's a really good statement. You know, brains are more susceptible to damage the younger you are. When I see kids on a Pop Warner football field and they're, you know, they're barely three feet tall, 
what is the point? What are you doing? What's going on in your brain to think that that's okay to have these little kids running around tackling? There's, there's just no reason for that at all. I mean, there's a great deal of guys in the NFL that didn't start playing football until they were in seventh, eighth, or freshman in, in, in high school. And one of the reasons that they can play in the NFL is their bodies aren't beat up and, and destroyed. They just haven't had that much wear and tear on the body. But we have to protect we have to protect the kids. And, you know, the NFL has made great strides in helping with awareness that, yeah, you don't need a tackle all practice long. You don't need to go full speed all practice long. Um, you don't, you, you're going to tackle this way. We're not going to use our heads any longer. You're not going to hit a guy when he is completely, you know, defenseless, even if it's in the body. So his head snaps and we're not going to go helmet to helmet with a defenseless player. We're not going to do that anymore. They've, they've recognized that they were sort of forced into it. They're forced into it by, you know, the, the potential lawsuit from the NFLPA and, and former players and all of that, that, you know, they can, they got, they got the settlement to help cover it, but they lead the way if they do it. It filters down into college and then it filters down into high school and it filters down into youth sports. I mean, that's how it goes. So they've led the way, um, practice at UCLA. When I was there, it was two and a half hours long. We had, 18 periods, and I think that 14 of them were full-speed contact. I mean, just full-speed contact. So how many plays in a, in, a, in a football game does an offense run? Back then, maybe 65. So, But in practice, we'd run 400 full-speed contact drills. It might not be a play, but it might be one-on-one. -on -one. And you're just beating yourself up. And on top of that, we had a garden hose on the field. And, and this is not a joke, James. I know. Oh, I'm an old guy. Yeah. We walked, you know, we had to walk through the snow up a mountain all the way to school. And then on the way home, it was up a super mountain. Now, this isn't one of those stories. This is the truth. We had a garden hose on the football field, one of them. 110 football players out there. It's LA. It was hot. August. Smoggy and hot. Who cares? Smog will make you stronger. Um, and if you were good, you got to run over there and drink out of a garden hose. Now, what do they do? They got Gatorade stations, tables set up all over the field. Anytime you're thirsty, anytime you need water, you can leave your drill and you can go get a drink. And, you know, this, it's how it should be, right? We ran, we ran a test. We had a three and a half mile test when we got to school um, after summer and we ran it at four o'clock in the afternoon right in the middle of rush hour right along sunset boulevard was was half of the loop super smoggy back in the in the early 70s or late 70s early 80s and it, they didn't care we thought oh that's going to make you tougher go with that water that's going to make you tougher hit hard all day long that's going to make you tougher we get to the game, all of a sudden there's all the Gatorade and all the water. Oh, no, drink it. It's really important for you to drink this, you know, so you can you can perform better. But it was, it's it's that, it's that mentality. It, it, it we, we we're, it's, you know, it, it's filtered down. It's filtered down. It's getting better. 
the hitting is completely a lot less now. I mean, in high school, they hardly hit at all anymore, which is great. They just do the form tackle. They tackle up. Um, but the thing that a lot of people don't realize is girls' soccer, number one concussive sport in America. A lot of hitting in girls' soccer. No, there's not a lot of hitting in girls' soccer. What's the problem there? It's the bobblehead effect. Girls' anatomy, they have a longer neck than men do. They just do. Anatomically, they have that longer neck. They have a weaker neck than men do because anatomically they have a weaker neck. And they're, they're, they just have this bobblehead going on. So they're running around the, the soccer field. They trip, they fall. Their head's going to snap and smack into the ground. They're going to get concussed. They, they body blow, body blow to body blow. And their head snaps. They don't make any contact, but it's just the snapping. I mean, some of the worst concussions in the NFL have been from from a wide receiver going up to make a catch, you know, and then he gets a, he gets hit in the midsection, and his whole body snaps, and his head snaps. The guy's concussed, and he's knocked out. And everyone's like, "How could that happen?" It's the snapping. If we can prevent the head from reaching the end of the range of motion. It's end of range of motion. We can prevent it. Then we prevent the snapping. And if we can prevent the snapping, we prevent the brain from flying across inside the skull and smashing onto the other side of the skull and then rattling the coup, counter coup that the neurosurgeons are always talking about. We prevent that. And all of a sudden you don't get concussed if you have a strong neck and you can prevent the snapping. But girls soccer, the most concussed sport in America they need to strengthen their necks. And it's not just about hitting. It's not, you know, and football has, has done a lot. I mean, they've taken all that back. And it's not just, it's good for your whole body. You know, it's good for your whole body. I have two knee replacements. I have two hip replacements. What do you think that was from? Golfing? <laughs> yeah, no. It, it wasn't from golfing. At least I can still golf. But it wasn't from golfing. It was It was from football. Just pounding and pounding and pounding away. So the fact that we're, we're, we're saving the bodies of all these kids, that's great. The fact that we're starting to protect their brains, you know, that's great. A lot of kids have, have gotten CT in high school now. In high school, um, you know, they're, they're just to the point where they can't even read anymore. They can't learn. So I think that, uh, you know, there's been great strides. We need to do more. Um, and I think that and I know I've invented the iron neck and, and you know, whatever. But here, here's the bottom line. I tell everyone I know that has a daughter in soccer, you have to strengthen her neck. You have to, you have to, you have to. If you don't, you're gonna, it's going to come back later and it's going to be a problem. You've got to do that. Why? They don't hit. And then I, I, I give them my spiel. I had a buddy I was working with. Um, in a real estate development company, he has, had a daughter and was a great athlete, played soccer, got a, got into Princeton because of her soccer abilities. Uh, you know, they don't, they don't give full rides in the Ivy League, but, you know, you get a, basically a half scholarship to get in or more to get into the school, and then you're on the soccer team. She couldn't make it because she couldn't concentrate and she couldn't read any longer. She had CTE already. And it's because of soccer. And I told him so many times. I even taught him how to do it with his hands. You know? I mean, he wouldn't take an iron neck for free. It just it just makes me sick when I think back on that. 
and we just have to strengthen the necks. It's just, it's just like, it's just the dumbest thing in the world when, and I know I'm just rambling here and I'm going on a little rant. I apologize, but no, please. it drives me no, nuts. Please. It drives me nuts when people say, oh no, the neck's fragile. You can't work out the neck. No, it's, if you break your neck, you know, you're going to get paralyzed. It's fragile. You can't work it out. And like, watch a, watch the NFL game, watch a college game. What happens to the head and neck during that game? They get thrashed. They get beat around. They get smashed into the ground. Helmet to helmet contact, just crunching blows. Well, that's okay, but you're you're afraid to train it in the gym with a with a strength coach that could guide you through it. It makes no sense at all, none. And it's it's it, you strengthen every other part of your body. They worry about the knee joint, and they and they should. They should worry about the knee joint, and they worry about the Achilles tendon. And the, you know, we, we got to make that strong so it doesn't snap. We've seen that happen this year several times. Yeah, you worry about those different joints to strengthen them up to protect the player. This is part of the core. It's just the, it's the top part of the core. It needs to be strong. It needs to be massive. You're, you're you know, like, like we were talking. Your head is a weapon. Aaron Pico, MMA fighter, um, California wrestler, started using Iron Neck. When Doc Crease, who was a strength coach at UCLA, after he left, when Carl Durrell got let go, started his own clinic in Marina Del Rey, and he had a bunch of athletes working out with him. And Aaron was a freshman, and he was a little tiny guy. And, you know, he, we started him on our neck right off the bat. And this kid, this kid developed into this huge neck. He's a great MMA fighter and super strong, and he's been carrying that old iron neck around with him forever. Um, but you know, he came up to me after he'd been working out on it for a long, long time. And in a very threatening way, told me his head was now a weapon, you know, like this, my head's a weapon. Now I'll kick your ass with my head because my neck is so strong. But, um, you know, that was a, that was, you know, that was one of the things that got our neck going because he worked out with Nick Kirsten. Nick Kirsten is a great strength coach for, for MMA fighters and Nick Kirsten got on the Joe Rogan podcast, and Joe asked Nick, his, Joe's neck was bothering him. He asked Nick, "What do you do for what do you what do you do for necks?" And Nick Kirsten was like, "Oh, we have this weird thing you put on your head. It's the weirdest thing ever, and you look like a dork when you put it on your head and you're doing it." And and anyway, the producer found it online, and and then you know we reached out to to Joe, and Joe had me over, and I got to work him out, and he he filmed it, and. It was, you know, it, it really helped out the, the growth of the company. But, um, you know, the neck strength, it's so important. There's no excuse not to ever train your neck. There's just none at all. Just a regular person in a car, a lady coming home from grocery shopping or whatever work, she gets rear-ended. Her neck can be jacked up forever. If it's strong, I'm not talking bulky. Ladies is out there watching this. I'm not trying to get your neck bulky, but it can get a lot stronger. My wife has a very slim, sexy neck, but guess what? That neck is so strong, you cannot believe how strong it is. So there, I'm done. I'm done ranting. No, no, I like rants. Trust me, that's why my podcasts are long. Um, going back to the uh, the the combat side, the the uh, the amount of head trauma. When I was in LA, I worked for Anaheim Fire for a few years. That's how I. Came across Rolf ultimately, who connected us. So I want to give him a shout out. Massive fucking neck, that guy. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah. 
um, I trained in uh, Shootbox, who was in LA, um, just for a short time. I think they were for about a year. And that was full-on fight club. Like, I had broken nose, perforated eardrum, you name it. Just had the shit kicked out of me by people bigger and stronger. Learned how to, you know, learned I wasn't the world's biggest pussy, but didn't really learn a lot of technique because, <laughs> you know, as you know, when you're going full belt, you're not really learning technique. You're, it's more survival mode or just, you know, red zone fighting. But what I've seen, um, you know, I had Greg Jackson on, for example, is a lot of the MMA gyms now are, like we were saying in football, they're doing a lot less heavy sparring now. It's going to be a lighter sparring, pad work, those kind of things. Of course, they're going to have sessions where they go heavier. But just like you hit on with the number of heavy heavy training sessions you had, now it's pulled back a lot. And I think that coupled with the proactive element that we're going to talk about of, of training so that you can protect the neck, also we've, we've just we, we've evolved. And it's sad because the fire service hasn't when it comes to the, the amount of hours that these firefighters work and the less you – know, the the little sleep that they get, we're killing them through that way as well and trying to get them to understand that we need to evolve the same way as, mm. for example, the NFL has because, you know, we're, you know, wringing our hands. Oh, why are we, you know, why are so many dying? Well, you still work in 56 hours a week and then mandatory overtime and you're under, you're wondering why they're getting sick and all that stuff because sleep deprivation mirrors CTE. It also breaks down the neurons. So, um, with that being said, though, I want to just before we get to the actual athlete side, when I look at a lot of younger people and the, we are, you know, we're to blame. The parents are to blame because our generation invented the tablet, the cell phone, all these things. But a lot of these kids have this forward head carriage now. They have the forward shoulder carriage. Athletics, you know, neck resilience aside, talk to me about posture. Have you seen a lot of uh, a lot of um positive impact when it comes to simply returning a young person's spine back to where it should be absolutely we call it tech neck or tech neck so tech neck is basically someone sitting at a desk all day like this looking down at a keyboard looking down at a screen and then text neck is you know kids walking around with their phones in their hands their heads down all the time it elongates and stretches out the neck erectors uh, splenius capitis, splenius cervicus get all stretched out, even a little bit of sternocleidomastoid in the back section. And, you know, it's terrible posture, terrible posture. It affects shoulders. It affects your back. Uh, it, it, needs, it, it needs to get fixed. One of the great thing about the iron neck is it does that. So when you, when you think about a lever, right? So if you've got something attached to a lever and you're pulling it this way, that whole lever has to remain rigid. It has to because you're getting pulled this way. Well, that's the, the basic principle behind our neck. You put it on your head and you're attached to a cable machine or you're attached to the bungee cord and you're getting pulled in that direction, your whole body, your whole kinetic chain has to resist that. You have to have good posture. And all of a sudden, if you start using that, even if you're doing this during the course of the day, you're going to have good posture because those muscles now have been tightened up. And it's, it's all the way around, which works well. You know, whatever, whatever, whatever's away from the attachment point, you know, those muscles are working. Now I go this way, then, you know, the muscles on this side are working, et cetera. So it's, it's really important to do that. Um, I was going to say something else, and I'm, I, I just lost my train of thought about the posture. Oh, yeah. So we have, we have co corporations, companies that put iron neck in their break rooms. They're hanging on the wall in their break rooms. Why? Because they're 
their people are like this all day long. And they come in and they, they know now if they put the iron neck on and they work out with it, they just feel better. They get a blood flow immediately, a blood flow to your to your head. It it helps with headaches. It it it, it helps with waking up. You know that after after lunch, you come in there do a little iron neck workout, literally for one minute, and it, it just helps. It just gets blood flow and it, it gets your posture back. I mean, I have a stand up desk at home. I have a stand up desk at work. That also helps you get your posture up, especially when you raise the desk up so you're actually looking up like this at the screens. And not, you know, not down like this at the screens. But, yeah, it's it's so important, posture. And, and you know, there's a, the younger you are, the worse that it is. I remember when I, I owned a gym in Pacific Palisades for, for a long time. It was, a, it was, a, it was a, called Pro Trade. It was a great gym. It was just private trainers and the clients and all of that. And I had one client that brought his daughter in, and, and she had the worst posture. Just the absolute worst posture. You could just, she just walked around. And this is before cell phones. She walked around like this all the time, you know. And she was tall. And she was embarrassed about being tall. And and her dad said, look, Mike, whatever you got to do, I want her standing straight up. So, you know, we did a lot of work. And I did, back then, I would do hands-on neck training. You know, hand on the head, and they'd be pushing it. I do rotate. They have to rotate chin back and forth. I'd hold their chin so they had to rotate, but that really helped her posture out. And then I did a lot of upper back work, a lot of work on the scapula and the rhomboids. And you know, in about three months, she was standing pretty much straight up. And you know, she's she's got a really really good job now. Um, you know, and, you know, she had confidence. All of a sudden, she looked confident. She didn't look like she was, was scared to, come, to walk into a room. But, yeah, it's it's important. Absolutely. Well, I want to get to the application and the tactical professions in a little bit. But before we do, talk to me about the size and weight of the original prototype and then walk me through how it's evolved. Okay. so <laughs> So I mentioned that, you know, right after I lost that job, I invented the iron neck. Literally, James, in one week, I had it on my head. And I was using it, and it worked. It was like, okay, this works. But how did that happen? Well, I started off with a 33-pound block of aluminum. And I have some really, really close friends that own a machine shop in Torrance. And they do spark. Back then, they were doing space shuttle parts. And now they do a lot of SpaceX parts and all of that. So I walked in there. And I sat down with Danny and George, and I said, hey, guys, um, I want to build this thing. And I and I, I drawn it all up. I, did, I have a drafting table because, you know, I'm a developer, and sometimes I do my own plans for homes. So I, I, I you know, I drafted it up, three-dimensional drawing. This is what I want to do. And and I want to uh, – can we just do it out of, out of aluminum? So we started with this 33-pound block, and we milled it, and we turned it, and, you know, because the center hole is oblong. Outside was perfectly round. And literally, um, on Friday, I walked in there on a Monday, and they sent me back and said, look, it has to be to a thousandth of an inch. Every measurement, so we can put it into our CAD machine. And, you know, this this big machine, computer operates it. And it was the coolest thing to walk in there and watch this machine, you know, holding the, holding the block of aluminum and all these bits and pieces come in and just drill it all out and make all the holes. So then I... I um, Went to an upholstery shop and I got a band, the Velcro in upholstery, and I had that thing on my head. And the truck was on there, roaring around the outside, 
That was over 13 pounds. Now, to me, 13 pounds was nothing. Try to get someone else to put 13 pounds on their head. Even in the NFL, it's funny because, I mean, women aren't going to do it because no way. Although my wife just recently stopped using her 13-pound iron neck for the brand new 3.0 model because she, she, she just loved how it felt. She got used to it. She just liked it. But uh, she's using the brand new model now. Once in a while, I catch her using the old model. But um, she, um, she says it's really comfortable. <laughs> and, you know, and actually it, it was, but it's still 13 pounds. But my um, rationale was that a Navy SEAL helmet with full-on night vision gear and all the apparatus that they put on it was 13 pounds. So, you know, when I went down and installed down in uh, Coronado, in San Diego for the Navy SEALs down there, they didn't care. 13 rounds is great. It's the same as their helmet. They, they have that weight on their head all the time. So it, it just depended on who was looking at it. Now, a physical therapist, I'm not putting that on anyone's head. And I don't blame them. I mean, you know, especially you come out of, out of some kind of a neck rehab, you know, neck surgery. You don't want that on there. So that was the first iteration. The next iteration was to take that and just do a spine of aluminum and do injection mold top and bottom. We're also trying to, to cheapen the price. It was it was over $800 to build that first iron neck. I mean, you know, it's a commodity. In some weeks, it'd be more because the aluminum was up that week. It just depended. Uh, so wanted to get the aluminum down, so that was the spine. That was seven and a half pounds. So we had the spine and we had injection mold and a, a lot of bolts and, and, and metal parts on that one. Then we went to the, another iteration where we got rid of almost all metal, and that got down to about three pounds. And now the new one, the 3.0, just, just under two pounds. All injection mold, works great, more comfortable than anything we've built. Plus, the, the ha we have a haptic response in the disc braking system now. So you know that three click, you do three clicks for rotational resistance or four clicks or five clicks if you're stronger, depending. I mean, you can you can figure it out. Before it was just trying to figure it, you know, just doing it and saying, oh yeah, that feels about right. So it was difficult to do that and try and keep the price down. But anyway, that's, sort of, that's where it started. 13, now we're down to two. So in the jujitsu school that I'm in now, religiously every warm-up they do a load of exercises you go on your back and you you always leave your head off the ground and you do you know look up and down left right you know ear to ear yeah. and that alone i literally went to my wife out recently i think we were on a cruise and i took my you know smart white shirt and i went to button it and i couldn't get it around my damn neck anymore and i as you can see i'm not exactly <laughs> you know I'm not the that's role, good. but yeah, that's good. that alone. So I know that it will, and I haven't really had any touch wood, any, um, you know, neck issues at all, but then I start using the iron neck and, you know, I'm aware, obviously, again, it's still, you know, specific planes that I'm doing even on our warm up in jujitsu, but now I'm seeing the application. I'm seeing, you know, again, all the different, um, directions that you can turn under resistance whilst you're wearing the iron neck. And then I'm looking at my career wearing this massive fire helmet. I mean, if you've got the full leather, I forget how many pounds is, but I think you're scraping, you know, heading towards 10, especially if you've got some door chocks and other things strapped to it, like, like a lot of us do, the yeah. big shield. 
Yeah. Um, you know, and then I've got a friend, Dave, who started using the Iron Neck. He's a helicopter pilot. He was British military and now he's in Canada doing mm. the, the kind of EMS transport stuff. And he was having neck issues and he, and he actually bought an Iron Neck and said it's helped him immensely. So what are you getting as far as feedback from these professions that wear helmets with your product? Great feedback. I mean, let's start with Formula One racing and NASCAR. They got helmets on all the time, and in motocross, helmets on all the time, um, and you know they weigh a lot. They're in a, a high collision sport, and they all love Iron Neck, love it. It's it's really benefited the drivers quite a bit. Air Force, the Air Force Academy or the Air, Air Force loves Iron Neck. They've done two studies on Iron Neck, and I love that when my tax dollar actually does something worthwhile. And they did, they did two great studies, one out of Luke Air Force Base in Arizona. That's where the, the newbies come out of the Air, the Air Force Academy. And if they're a pilot, they come to Luke to learn how to, to fly F-16s and F-15s and all of that. That's where they're trained. So I, I was at uh, TSAC, uh, you know, NSCA's TSAC Strength and Conditioning Show. And I, you know, did a presentation. And there's an Air Force guy standing there, and he's watching me. He came up to me right afterwards, and he said, oh, do you think it would help with my fighter pilots? They have really bad necks. And I never thought that fighter pilots would have bad necks, right? Uh, but, yeah, they pull 4Gs at takeoff. F-16 fighter pilot, 4Gs at takeoff. Cold neck, no warm-up at all, and, and you wonder why their necks are bad? James, the worst necks I've ever seen in my life. United States Air Force fighter pilots. Their necks are so jacked up. So anyway, I go to Luke <clears throat> Air Force Base. I meet with them, take them through a couple workouts. We, we donate a couple our necks to them so they can start training these guys. Developed a couple different exercises for them because their, their, their uh, seat, their seat is like, it's about right like that. This is how they sit. So they're, they're like this, and they're pulling all the different Gs at that angle. So what I did was I took a weight bench, matched that angle, and then I took the iron neck, and I, I built a little 18-inch um, cable. And on the end of that cable, I put a one-pound fishing weight. So now what they had to do was they had to go ahead and try to stay in frame here. They had to go ahead and sit at this angle. They had the one-pound fishing weight hanging there, and then like a hula hoop, kind of, they had to get that, that fishing weight spinning while they were at this angle. It's not easy. So you you, you, know, you, got the, you got the weight spinning and now you're at this angle and then I'd say check your, check your six and then they'd have to keep it spinning and they'd have to look up and over and then look out of you know the, vis, the, the roof and you know, check their six to see if there's an, another fighter plane coming, chasing them in dogfights or whatever. But that that really works well. And a lot of times at the strength and conditioning shows, because all these young guys, you know, think I'm an old fart, right? We say, look, if you can beat Mike at how many uh, of, about rotations with the weight in one minute, you get a free iron neck. So during the show, you know, they, they do it. We'd count them. You know, they'd be like, oh, oh. You know, whatever. It's so funny. Anyway, then the last day, I, I would do it. I tried to beat everybody. And I can, I mean, it's like, and things going so fast, you can't, I mean, I've been doing this for, you know, 
12 years. I should be able to beat everybody. You know, even at 64, I should be able to beat everybody. But, um, you know, it's, it's funny, but it's a great workout. It's a great workout. And it's a, it's a, a different, um, I, I recommend that you try it. It's, it's a little, it's a little different than, you know, just working with the bands and working with a cable and weight stack. But yeah, so, so those groups with helmets. Yeah. I mean, we've seen great effects on all of them, especially the fighter pilots. They did a study with a squadron out of England, which wrote, wrote rotated into the middle East, a two year study using the iron neck and it improved all of the fighter pilots necks. Pain went away, um, range of motion came back, flexibility came back, all those good things happened. Blood flow to the neck. Now they have them on flight decks, on aircraft carriers, on, just on you know regular old you know, landing strips. They'll have an iron neck out on the on the wall. You just throw it on, just for one minute. Get the blood flow before you go jump into your plane and take off. Um, you know, of course, if they have the time to do that, but it, it really helps. And a lot of football programs. When you're going out to the field, you use our neck to warm up before you go out there. You're going to start hitting, you know, get that neck, those neck muscles warmed up. Uh, firefighters is one group of people, one profession that I have worked hard to try to break through, to try to get in. We've gone to a couple shows uh, and we've just never, we've never got the buy-in from the firefighters. And, it's 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 something that I never understood. And since you're a fighter fighter, maybe you can you can educate me on this. But it's like I don't know. I just I just it's probably my approach. I just couldn't get through. Never had any buy-in. I know we have some fire departments that use it. Some do, but I've tried to work with Orange County. I had connections in Orange County, and I couldn't get them to to buy into it. We, there's a few problems that we have in the fire service. Firstly. I mean, I worked for Anaheim, which is in Orange County. And actually, I have to say, NorthNet, where Rolk does a lot of his training, that is one of the few places I've truly seen fire departments, surrounding departments come together. And they train together there. They've got great, um, you know, they, they, they go into each other's cities and cover each other. I mean, they, it really does work well, but that's because they train together in a central location over and over and over again. But a lot of the fire departments are very fragmented, and sometimes the city thinks they're better than the county or vice versa. Um, so that's one issue. We don't have this network you know, where everyone's saying, wow, there's this thing, Iron Neck, Newcom, foundation training, whatever it is, you guys need to do this. This is, this is incredible. Um, the other thing is there's a real push against innovation which sounds insane in a profession where we could die, yeah. but there is. And the fire helmet, which people hate me talking about, but it's true. I've got in my background, you can see over my shoulder there, uh, that is the, uh, the patent for the American fire helmet. And I think it's 1937. And that's the one they still hang on wow. to. It's heavy, it's cumbersome, it's, it's shit, for lack of a better word. And then they will ridicule the European helmet, which is actually far more advanced. It's lighter, it's more ergonomic. So that's the other thing. There's this real kind of blind, you know, it's the way we've always done it, um, element to it, rather than looking at themselves as a tactical mm -hmm. athlete, looking at themselves as a SEAL, an SAS member, wanting the very best in their gear, in their performance, in their rest and recovery. And that's where the disconnect is. So that's probably why you're seeing resistance. 
is do we need it? Absolutely, we need it. You know, our neck injuries are one of the biggest things that puts our guys out, and it it makes perfect sense. You know, yeah. we go from zero to a hundred, put all this gear on. It's not just the helmets; all the shit sitting on our traps too. And then we breach, we pull ceilings overhead, and stuff falls on our head, and um, you know, it's 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 a real toll on the neck. But unless you look at yourself as an athlete, unless you're thinking about your longevity. They're not putting two and two together. Now, obviously, now where I am outside the fire service, looking in, trying to, you know, disseminate this information as a stuntman, as a martial artist, as a firefighter, it makes perfect sense to me. But hopefully people's eyes will start being opened wider and wider and they'll realize that, yeah, and while we ask you, especially if we keep using outdated equipment, then you absolutely need to strengthen your neck. Yeah, I mean, tactical athlete. That's what they are. I mean, they should just look at the the uh, evolution of the football, football equipment, the football uniform and pads over the last 35, 40 years. I mean, it's changed from these giant pads, big. I mean, I had these giant, huge pads. We had, you know, we had uh, material that didn't breathe, just didn't breathe at all. So we had cut off shirts, you know, for the summertime. And I mean, now look at it. the pads are really small but they do a lot better at dissipating blows to the body, right? A lot better. And the fabric breathes and it's lighter. So people are faster and quicker now. It doesn't make any sense because they are athletes. And you would think that they would want to, you know, evolve like all other sports are and, you know, improve. I mean, I'll bet you, I mean, if, if they had competitions, you know, and I'm sure they do, but, I mean, if they had competitions where you're climbing stairs as fast as you possibly can, you'd want to have the lightest uniform possible. They would get there. I mean, they would get there, you know. To, they, but this is life and death. It's just life and death when you walk into a burning building, that you have a strong neck. You, you do not want to get knocked out in a burning building, obviously. So, yeah, I mean, maybe maybe you can shoot me some contacts and I can, I can reach out to some people in Orange County and, you know, we can see what we can do and help some help some guys out yeah absolutely well, well certainly anaheim that was where i work so we can start there um one other area i want to hit before we go to some closing questions which is also extremely important i tore my back about nine years ago now in the fire service i thought it was going to be a you know possible career-ending injury it was a three ligament tear um couldn't I mean I couldn't even get out of bed, couldn't put my shoes on, couldn't pick up my son, nothing. And ended up going through the route of PT, paid out of pocket for chiropractic, and stumbled across this thing called foundation training, which is an incredible movement practice that um is, you know, preventative as well, but also for back pain, back injury. And it's a movement practice. It kills me when I hear people going into surgery, young people, because they hurt whatever. Now, some of them, maybe that's what they need to have done. But I would argue probably a lot just aren't aware of how powerful the body is at healing when given the right movements. Talk to me about neck pain and some success stories of people that maybe were going into surgery that were able to rehab using your device. Oh, my gosh. I mean... We sell, like I said before, about 80% of our necks are to people that have neck pain that have are trying to avoid surgery. They're doing everything they can to avoid that. And the iron neck fixes their neck. Uh, I mean, it's funny. I, I used to go to chiropractors to get straightened out, right? <clears throat> pop, 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 pop. Our neck does it automatically. 
You never have to go to a chiropractor again. Now, we have chiropractors that use our neck. Some chiropractors are really good, and they want to strengthen their clients and get their clients, you know, back to their normal selves and off of, you know, using them. But um, I, I think that, um, I mean, I, I know there's several people that, you know, have, have called up and asked, oh, my doctor says we're, I need surgery, I need this, I need that, would it be safe to use Iron Neck? And we say, yes, it will be. You start off slow. I mean, you control, you control how much weight you are going to resist. And the band, if it goes to 25 pounds, it can only be one pound. You can just step it out barely and just start moving your head around with one pound of resistance and maybe two pounds and three pounds. But you would be amazed if you have chronic neck pain, if you start using those muscles that you haven't used in years, and you start getting blood flow to those ligaments and the tendons and the muscles, and start stretching those out a little bit, and elongating them, and building range of motion, James, pain just goes away. It just literally goes away. Here's a good story. Mike Clark, uh, he was the Chicago Bears strength coach, NFL, NFL, obviously. And I'd spoken at the Combine on concussion prevention and neck strength. Because back then when I was speaking, they didn't, they didn't believe it. How could neck strength prevent a concussion? No, your brain's inside your skull. That doesn't make any sense. How does that even help? So I'd have to, you know, I, I had to take them through. Well, if your head snaps, your brain flies across your skull, it rattles around. If you can prevent, you can dissipate that blow, blah, 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 right? So some of them kind of bought into it. The more I spoke, the more they, the more they bought into it. But Mike Clark could not move his head. Old football player, great strength coach, great guy, just a really good personality. But he he he, he walked like this. He turned like this. And he said, after he heard me speak one time, he came up and he said, "Okay, I want to try this thing on. I get it. I'm just kind of buying into what you're saying. Let me feel how it feels." So I put it on his head. And, you know, gave him about 10 pounds of resistance. And he was, you know, he was resisting it. And I said, okay, Mike, just try to look left and then try to look right. Just, just even if it's a half an inch. So he starts, you know, and right away blood starts flowing into his neck. Immediately, things start warming up. And James, I, I'm not joking. I'm not joking. I'm not exaggerating either. Pretty soon, he's moving his head this much. You know, not all the way. But, I mean, he's got some range of motion going on that he hadn't had in years and years and years. And <clears throat> he came back about two hours later and wanted to do the workout again. Um, okay, we'll do it out. We'll do it again. But, you know, you, you're going to get a little sore tomorrow, you know, working out this much because I don't care. I can move my head. I am so happy. But here, here's a guy that had contemplated surgery over and over and over again over the years to get rid of pain and to get his range of motion back. And all of a sudden, he's using Iron Neck for the first time in one day. Pain's going away and range of motion is coming back and flexibility is coming back. And then it's funny, he had this, he had an old truck and you know, he, he, I saw him, I don't know, two years later maybe three years. And he goes, he came up to me, he goes, Mike, you know what the best thing about your iron neck is? 
And I, I said, no, Mike, what, what's the best thing about my RNA? He goes, I don't have to turn my whole body and get up on the seat of my car to back my truck up. Because I can just go like this now. I can just turn and I can look out the back window. And I laughed and I said, Mike, you know, they do have new cars with backup cameras now. And you wouldn't have to really worry about that at all. But, no, he loved his old truck and he wasn't about to sell it. So, But, yeah, so we have had stories like that. I, the doctor said I was going to have to have surgery. My neck's great now. I don't have to have surgery. Um, you know, I don't have to go to the chiropractor anymore. I don't have to go to the physical therapist anymore. And, you know, one of the things sometimes I think, and, and I'm going to get in trouble for saying this, but sometimes I think that physical therapists don't really want to use Iron Neck because it's new, whatever, but also because it fixes things. And they cut off their, their their food supply, right? I mean, it's like, okay, now now you're fixed. You don't have to come back and keep working working on the stuff that I the, the stuff that we're doing. Chir- you know, um, chiropractors the same way. But you just, you know, it, it's it's so important. It 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 prevents a lot of surgeries, a lot. Well, I think it is so important. I didn't have surgeries. Didn't take you know drugs more than. Uh... I mean, barely like a handful of days, the painkiller um, when I first hurt my back and then I was off completely. And, and initially it was just PT in Cairo. Then I added this mm-hmm. foundation training and, and the, the theory makes so much sense. You know, and I always, you know, I was more analytical being an athlete, uh, exercise physiology grad, you know, why, okay, why did I get hurt? No, I just want to get out of pain. What, what happened? I was doing what I thought was all the right things. But when you realize that the spinal column, and as we sit here now, we are literally sitting on our tailbones, you know, talking to each other in a, in a chair, you know, that's that's a skeleton absorbing the 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 mass of the body. But when you put that col- uh, column of strength or that muscle around, it takes the pressure off those nerves and things don't hurt. And if you look at the founder of that, his MRI, his back looks terrible <laughs> you know, when you look at the structure, yeah. but he's completely pain-free and strong because... He's built it around, and this is why it makes so much sense with the iron neck. I forget what they say for every degree of you know forward or or backward tilt. You know, you add X amount of pounds to you know, the weight of your head, and God forbid you put a helmet on. But if you simply yep. put it back mm-hmm. in the alignment and add that column of strength around the neck, it makes complete yeah. sense to me that the pain would go away. Yeah, it becomes it becomes very very light. Right off the bat, and that's one one of the good things about you're talking about foundation, kinetic, you know, open or closed kinetic chain. It's important that we do both, right? I do iron neck on top of a bozu ball, upside down, so it's very unstable. So it's an open kinetic chain exercise, and I'm fi- I'm fighting that at the same time having you know being pulled to the side and going through the you know, the entire workout. It's a great it's a great way to work it out, and I, I encourage you to do that too. Take your bozu ball, flip it upside down, get on top of that thing, and and do the iron neck. It, it it's intense. I like to do it on a vibration plate too. It's amazing the difference. You you, you stand on the vibration plate and you do the whole the whole iron neck workout. And you're like, wow, that's something. Um, since you're into you know uh, jujitsu and MMA and all, on all of that, blindfold yourself. Give give the give the end of the bungee cord to your workout partner, and have him go around when you're blindfolded in your jujitsu stance. Have him go around very quietly and just jerk you from all different angles. Run around, pull you, 
but but some night I'll let the cord go loose and I'll sneak around to the back and you're in your stance or I'll have a boxer shadow box, right? There's shadow boxing, MMA guy's shadow boxing. He's in his stance. He doesn't know where I am. And all of a sudden, wham, 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 wham. You know, and he has to react, react to the force because we, we need to teach the neck to also react to the force. When you're using our neck, just like when you're using a, uh, when you're sitting on a, a bench doing a chest press, you're not, rea- you know, you, you know, you're doing it. I'm not reacting to a D lineman coming down and I have to react back and push him off because I'm dealing with this guy over here. We want to, we want to, we want to quicken the reaction time. So when you're blindfolded and you don't know where the blow to your head and neck is going to come from, then you're reacting to it and it, 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 it quickens it. But the open kinetic chain, closed kinetic chain exercises are, are really good for that foundation for strengthening that whole core of the whole trunk. Brilliant. Well, I want to throw some quick closing questions at you before I let you go. And obviously, we'll make sure everyone knows where to find Iron Neck. The first one I love to ask, is there a book or are there books that you love to recommend? It can be related to our discussion today or completely unrelated. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm a, I like to read novels. I'm rereading right now Hunt for Red October because it was such a great, you know, as a Tom Clancy's first, you know, novel that got recognized and, 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 and broke through. But, oh, my gosh, it's just such a great novel. He gets into all the bits and pieces of all the different things. But that's what I'm, that's what I'm reading right now. Uh, I've probably read it twice before. But, you know, once in a while, you just have to go back to something you love. And, you know, you let 10 years go by, you forget enough that, that, it, that, it, that it's still exciting to read. I do, um, I'm trying to think of the time management book I just read. Oh, oh my gosh, I can't think of it. <sighs> Shoot, maybe I can find it on my on my phone. But there's a time management um, book that I just finished reading, and it was really good. It was it was more for a lead, you know, leadership role and how you time manage, not just about tasks, not just writing a bunch of tasks down, you can task, 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 but you know, looking at the, the bigger picture of everything. And if I'd known this question was coming, I would have, I would have looked it up, but I'm not going to waste your time trying to find it. But yeah, I, I, do, I do like to read uh, leadership books and, and you know, time management kind of things like that and try to, try to improve on that. Brilliant. All right. Well, then what about movies and documentaries? Any of those that you love? I just finished uh, Arnold on Netflix. That's a great documentary. Uh, you know, it, there's three different parts, and each part is 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 different. One, the first part's all about bodybuilding. The second part's about his acting career, and the third part's more about his political career. But it was fascinating, and you know, he addresses everything. He addresses his failures. He addresses his successes. You know, the the interesting thing though, the whole movie, and I'm wondering why, if there was a reason that he couldn't mention it. But Predator is one of my favorite Schwarzenegger movies, and it was never mentioned, ever. And I can't, if I'm flipping through channels and Predator's on, I, I, I'm stopping. I don't care where it is. I'm going to stop, and I'm going to finish the movie. And, he, and it was never mentioned in the, in the whole documentary, and I, it kind of surprised me, and it, it, sort of, it sort of stood out. But it, it made me want to run to the gym and start lifting. After you watch the first segment, oh, you're just like, oh, I got to go lift. I want to go lift. That's how I get rid of stress. I go to the gym and I lift weights. It's, it's you know, if I don't do that hard at least twice a week, I, 
I just don't start. I don't feel good. Um, and, and I need to do that. So, yeah. So Predator. Or, yeah. So, yeah. So the, that documentary with Arnold was really good. I have been uh, watching the World War II documentaries on Netflix, the ones they recolorized. Pretty cool. My grandfather was, you know, ran away from home when he was 16, joined the Navy during World War One, and, um, you know, was in the Navy his whole entire career. And he he was an inventor. He holds over 100 patents, and he's invented some pretty amazing stuff. Uh, most of it was when he was with the Navy. <clears throat> most of the stuff that he invented was when he was with the Navy. So I, I, I love watching those World War II documentaries. He was a, a propeller expert. So he, uh, he, 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 he hand-carved the propellers for Spruce Goose. And then uh, Skorsky called up the Navy and they said, hey, guys, I have this really cool thing that can take off straight up and land straight down. You're going to love it for your ships. But I got a problem with the propeller. I need Carl Jolly to, uh, you need to loan him to me. And I, I swear, you guys are going to be really happy with this. And, and my grandfather, he hand-carved the back propeller blade for the helicopter. They couldn't figure out how to carve that so it stabilized the helicopter. So World War II movies, World War II documentaries, I've always been very interested in. A lot of things that my grandfather did are in those movies. Um, he, so after World War I, they were trying to figure out wouldn't it be great if we could have planes on a ship? That'd be awesome, right? We could just drive our ship wherever we wanted, and then the planes could fly off and they could attack. That'd be great. You know, well, we have aircraft carriers now. But they were they were practicing flying the planes into nets. My grandfather invented the whole hook system, hydraulic hook system that catches the planes and slow them slows them down on an aircraft carrier. And he was one of the pilots flying those planes into the nets. So, I mean, into the nets. So you know, he, he had a reason to do that because that wasn't very safe, right? Um, but yeah, he, he did a did a lot of cool stuff. He tiny the tiny Tim rock, um, missile system. So the first plane launched missiles. He invented he invented those too. So he did a lot of he did a lot of cool stuff. So I like watching the World War II documentaries. I'm so glad I asked that question. That's a hell of a story. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm sure people listening are intrigued about the Iron Neck. Would love to probably reach out to you as well. So where are the best places to find the product and videos about it? And then also people, if they want to reach out to you specifically. Sure. So our website has a lot of great information. It has videos depending on what, what you want to get out of Iron Neck, what your job is, a firefighter, MMA, someone just with a bad neck. So that is um, iron-neck.com. It's just iron-neck.com. And you can reach out to me, just mike at iron-neck.com if you want to you know, send me an email with some questions um, either way. And then, of course, we're Iron Neck on Twitter, Iron Neck on, I guess it's on X now, Iron Neck on you know, Facebook and, and um, on LinkedIn. It's just Mike Jolly at LinkedIn. And I have a I have a pretty robust site. I have over twenty thousand followers on LinkedIn, and probably ninety five percent of them have something to do with sports, or MMA, or you know physical therapy, 
or you know, I mean, it's all it's all about neck strength and training and all of that. So when I post stuff, usually it's it's you know it's it's pretty decent. I'll probably take some snippets of this and post it on on LinkedIn, you know, also. Absolutely. Well, I want to just say thank you so much. Thank you to Robert again, um, but also thank you to you. I mean, I love talking about, you know, the, the subject matter, as it were, you know, and obviously what you're doing with the Iron Neck is incredible. And it, as I said before, I mean, there's three different communities I belong to that would benefit from this immediately. But also, I mean, it's all the other stuff. It's the human stories. It's learning about your granddad, I think, that makes these conversations so interesting. So I just want to thank you again for being so generous after a very busy and important day you had prior to this interview and coming on the Behind <laughs> the Shield podcast. This was the most important part of my day right here, James. The <laughs> most important part of my day. I mean, this is my passion. Don't get that wrong. That's work. This, this, was, this was more important. So thank you very much for having me on. It, it's been a lot of fun. I had a great time.